All right, in verse one of chapter 18, we see that after these things, now this in the Greek is metatauta, which sometimes means um, sequentially in time afterwards. It could mean a transition of the vision, uh, which I think is what's going on here. This isn't um, something that happens in time afterwards, but something that John saw afterwards. And this, um, this is not an interpretation. This is a different angel than the angel who was giving interpretations in the previous chapter. That was one of the seven angels who had the bowls of judgment. This is not one of those angels. He's the same kind of angel, but he's not from that set of seven that, um, that poured out the bowls of wrath on the world. He is not the same angel who just spent 10 verses explaining the vision to John. He is coming um, now to declare something after John has received a vision and a, an interpretation of that vision. Um, now an angel comes to announce what is happening. And we see that not just a religious aspect to this kingdom, uh, but a political aspect to this kingdom of Babylon. This angel comes down from heaven. Uh, this is important. There are, uh, there are demonic forces um, occupying the, uh, the world at this point. This angel is not um, coming up out of the earth like, like the uh, angel who indwells the false Christ at this point, the fallen angel. He is coming out of heaven just as angels have come out of the uh, temple to announce God's victory over the world, to announce God's judgment. If you remember from back in chapter 14 or 15, the temple was closed until all of the judgments uh, were completed. So this angel is not coming from inside the temple, but he is coming from heaven and he's coming from the presence of God. He was just in the presence of God who sits sovereignly on his throne. And we see evidence of that. Um, there is also an earlier parallel in Revelation 10. We saw another angel. Um, there's no indication that this is the same angel, but they are described very similarly. In Revelation 10, it said, I saw another angel or strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. So this was the uh, artist rendition of that angel, and this might be a very similar uh, angel. We don't get all the same description of him, uh, but he is one who is coming down from heaven, who has great authority, and he is illuminated. Uh, physically with the glory of God. This would be an even more stark uh, image because in Revelation chapter 16, the lights were turned out on earth. So this is probably the first light that they see since that happens. Uh, now, this is asking you guys to go back a couple of months, but there are two views on what this kingdom of the Antichrist, the false Christ is, where it's geographical extent is. Uh, the, the discourse clues seem to point towards uh, this being the entire earth, because the entire earth is the kingdom of the false Christ at this point. Uh, but there is also another view that this only happens over Babylon specifically. Either way, um, chapter 18 is here focused on Babylon. So if this were a, uh, 
if this were in Babylon or this were anywhere in the world, this illuminating angel coming down would be uh, quite a sight to bear after being uh, thrust into darkness that was so dark it was painful. Now all of a sudden you get this glorious light from heaven. And the light didn't come from the angel himself, uh, but it came from being in the presence of God. The same happened with Moses in Exodus 34, uh, where it says it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know uh, that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. Now, there's more parallel here than just his face shining. Uh, in Revelation 10, we see that the angel um, was also illuminated like the sun, and he held in his hand a scroll, and the scroll had judgments written on it. Moses came down from the mountain carrying the Ten Commandments, and now this angel in Revelation chapter 18 comes down announcing the final judgment of Babylon. And in each case, they are given this authority from God. So their illumination and their message uh, both work together to show us that they come as direct messengers from God, having just seen him face to face, and are now communicating God's message, not their own message, to the world, or in this case of Moses, to Israel specifically. So we see that when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near and he commanded them to do anything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. So that is very similar with this angel. Everything that the angel announces will come to pass. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, that uh, what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Uh, so this would have been a very tangible evidence to all who are watching these laws coming from the mouth of God through the prophet Moses, that each time he came out of the tent, his face was shining anew because he had been in the presence of God. And so when this angel comes out from heaven, we see that he had just been in the presence of God and his message comes from God himself. And so he cries out with a mighty voice, and he says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, some have proposed that this fallen, fallen is uh, one fallen for the religious aspect of Babylon, one fallen for the political aspect of Babylon. That's perfectly possible, uh, but I think it. Uh, it simply is a poetic and forceful way of saying it. I think it has more to do with the assurance of the destruction. Uh, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. <clears throat> Skip that. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. And then we get another um, 
a triplet here of poetry. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of unclean, every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, you'll remember this is like a funeral dirge for Babylon. Um, and John, actually the angel who is announcing this, has organized, uh, has organized this into triplets. And so this dwelling place or a haunt of demons uh, is kind of the controlling interpretation here. There is a prison for every unclean spirit. Again, demons and a prison for every unclean and hateful bird, probably also referring to demons. So these might be literal birds. And this was announced starting all the way back in Revelation 14. This is kind of an inclusio. Uh, it links chapter 14 all the way through chapter 18. Um, and this actually has been one big section, probably all dealing with the last few days of the tribulation period. So from the point where we see another angel coming down, which was the second angel who came down to announce the final judgments uh, that followed saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her, her immorality. So this began all the way back in Revelation 14. So it's a large chunk of Revelation that is uh, concerned with the final destruction of Babylon, but it's only a few days uh, in the history of the world and its yet future. But this has been anticipated since the, uh, since the dispersion of Israel uh, to Babylon. Back in Isaiah 21, it says, Now behold, here comes a troop of riders, horsemen, and pairs. And one said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And all the images of her gods are shattered on the ground. Well, my thresh... Uh, threshed people and my afflicted of the threshing floor, what I have heard from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I make known to you. Uh, this was prophesied before Babylon fell. And in fact, Babylon fell once before in a single day, but nothing was destroyed at all. Um, it was taken without, uh, without damaging anything. And it wasn't destroyed physically as a city until it was taken down for repairs and never put back up because uh, I think it was Alexander the Great uh, was a little preoccupied dying before he could finish the job. So here we've got that triplet, a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Uh, and this actually appears multiple times in the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah and Jeremiah, where we see the desolation of uh, Babylon is going to be uh, incredibly complete. Now, if you like listening to a lot of YouTube, like I do, inevitably you hear people looking for the destruction of Damascus uh, and that it's going to be a complete destruction, but someday people will live in Damascus again in the millennial kingdom. But even in the millennial kingdom, Babylon will remain empty, unoccupied of people. In Isaiah 13, we have this prophecy that um, Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, which is a city that is gone permanently and not to return. It will never be inhabited or lived in from this generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. These last two clauses have been going on since 
since Darius the king. Uh, they never stopped having uh, nomadic tribes living there or shepherds um, keeping their flocks there. It is going to be a completely empty and barren land um, after this judgment so that only wild animals are going to be there. Now, again, there's two interpretations of these wild animals. This may be literal wild animals. There is also some evidence that this might be speaking of demonic creatures. Um, in Isaiah 13, verse 21, it says that desert creatures will lie down there. Their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will also will live there and shaggy goats, which is um, actually the word for satyr which is um, often used for a demon in Hebrew. Uh, these will frolic there. Hyenas will howl in their forfeited towers or fortified towers, jackals in their luxurious places. Her hateful time or fateful time will also soon come and her days will not be prolonged. This is also prophesied in Jeremiah. Therefore, the desert creatures will live there along with the jackals. The ostriches will also, also will live in it, and it will never again be inhabited or dwelt in from generation to generation, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah with its neighbors, declares the Lord. No man will live there, nor will any son of man reside in it. Now, this um, apparently continues all through the millennial kingdom. Um, until this earth is put aside. Now, all these animals listed here are unclean animals under the Mosaic law. They have uh, a lot to do with witchcraft and demonism, so there may be something to that. Um, put together with Revelation chapter 18, it seems as if this is where the demons will be restrained through the millennial kingdom. Uh, that's a pretty popular interpretation these days. Um, and it's nearly convincing for me as well. Um, all other uh, nations will be reborn into the millennial kingdom with those believers who have been in them, but apparently not Babylon. Babylon will remain desolate even through the millennial kingdom. All right, in verse three, it says, all the nations have drunk for the wine of, uh, have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality or luxury, I think is a better translation there. So again, we've got a set of three. These are three reasons we've got in the Greek what we call a hati clause, uh, which indicates purpose. So this is the cause of her um, destruction and her judgment. She's caused the nations to join with her. Um, so the people within these uh, politics, the kings, the people over these politics, and the merchants of the earth, which is the first time, I believe, we see these merchants appear in Revelation, and uh, they become some of the main players in the rest of this chapter, because we see that they are the ones who specifically bewail the tearing down of this city, uh, probably because it is the economic center of the world. And while everyone else has been impoverished, these merchants are getting rich off the poverty and pain of the rest of the world. This economic center is prophesied back in Zechariah 5, and we get a better understanding of it when we get to Revelation 6 with the four horsemen. Uh, but in Zechariah 5, uh, 
Zachariah sees a vision and it's interpreted to him by an angel. It says, then I lifted up my eyes and looked and there two women were coming out with the wind in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork and they lifted up the ephah, which is a unit of measurement for flour and wheat. They lifted up the ephah between the earth and the heavens. I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the ephah? Then he said to me to build a temple for her in the land of Shinar. And when it is prepared, she will be set there on her own pedestal. And so this is the woman, um, the same woman Zechariah is prophesying about, which we are watching being destroyed in chapter 17 and 18. This is the economic Babylon. In Revelation 16, we saw this, uh, what probably was the institution of this economic center of the world, uh, where they were able to use this false effa, and I'll show you why it's a false effa in a second, uh, or this artificial inflation or commercial system of banking um, in order to, uh, to enrich the city while impoverishing the rest of the world and sending them specifically into famine. So he says here, this is the third seal, which is the third horseman of the apocalypse. It says, I heard the third living creature saying, come. I looked and behold a black horse and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. And essentially what um, that breaks down to in a denomination is one day's wage for one meal's worth of food for one person. Uh, so it is impossible to uh, survive on that, but this is the level of the inflation that occurs in that uh, economic system that will be imposed during the tribulation period. And I called it a false effa, um, and that has to do with what Zechariah had seen just before. It was interpreted for him when he sees an ephah or a basket with a woman in it and a lead weight placed on top of it. it. Says, I said, what is it? And he said, this is the ephah going forth. Again, he said, this is their appearance in all the land. And behold, a lead cover was lifted up. And this is a woman sitting inside the ephah. Then he said, this is wickedness. And he threw her down into the middle of the ephah and cast the lead weight on its opening, um, this lead weight uh, would be the kind of lead weight that is used to balance a scale. Uh, this is probably tipping the balances here on this EFA, making it seem heavier than it actually is.